The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod, and I'm sitting here with the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grampichet. Good morning. Good morning, Shannon, and good morning, everyone. So thrilled to be here with all of you, and especially thrilled to be here with you. I, I get to spend this hour every week with you, and it always lifts me up. Believe it's a good hour. <laughs> it is a good hour because we get to spend it with all of you, and Dr. Grampichet is a true expert in the field of autism. She answers your questions during this hour. She's been working in this field. We said this last year and everybody kind of tripped out about it. <laughs> You've been working in this field for 45 years. That's right. Uh, which is crazy to think. But yes, she did start as an infant. It's true. <laughs> uh, so, But working in this field for that long with individuals all across the spectrum, from young babies up through senior citizens, certainly with young kids and teenagers, and helping to train people to be able to do effective, good, conscious ABA that looks at the individual. You've always been somebody who's been at the forefront of, of, of pushing that agenda, that these are individuals, that they have an ecosystem that is their body, that we need to take those things into consideration, their sensory issues. So we applaud you and thank you for your thank tireless you work thank in this you. field. It's, it's a pleasure. Well, to and, be now, in this field. and now you guys get to ask her questions in real time. We ask that we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, so many other sites. And Trayvon's going to show those to you on the screen in just a second. We're saying good morning to Taryn and good morning to Dark Angel. You guys can be writing in right now just like they did to be acknowledged. If you're watching us live on, on any of those sites, we can see your comments in almost real time. It does take a minute or two. So we suggest you ask your questions early in the program because we <clears> always <throat> run out of time and it always makes me feel bad when we don't get to all the questions. So if you have a you know, desire to ask her a question, ask early. Be as specific as possible. Uh, I think it's helpful if you say where you're watching from, because sometimes the resources are right. different than in other places. I wish that wasn't the case, but it is. Sometimes it's really helpful, though, to know, oh, you're you're someplace and we know somebody there. Absolutely. Uh, so please write in and ask your questions. Do understand that in this format, there is no expert that can give individual specific advice, because that would be unfair to the expert and especially to the individual. So we ask that you be as specific as possible, and Dr. Grampichet will answer your question. Uh, she might have more questions for you, as often happens, which is, I think, a super powerful thing, but we get there together. Our starting topic, this before I start with our starting topic this morning, let me also say we never get enough of her. How mm -hmm. could we? We could never get enough of her. But one of the answers that we have for you is that we've got this thing coming up called the Autism Network Podcast-a-thon. And I'm getting better at saying that. Eventually, it's going to roll trippingly off my tongue. <laughs> uh, but it is starting on April 4th at 3 p.m. Pacific time. So that's 7 p.m. Yes, right? No? Yes, I think 7 p.m. Is it 6 p.m.? 7 p.m. 6 here is 7 
What are you trying to say? So it starts at 3 p.m. here, so it's 6, 6 p.m. on the Easter East Coast. Time. There we go. I can't do the math backwards anymore. <laughs> I've lived on every time zone. I can't do it anymore. Anyway, uh, it will start at 3 p.m. here, and we will go live. We're going to attempt to go live for 44 hours uninterrupted. Right. With guest takeovers from podcasts all over the world. We've got so many celebrities now who are joining us. We know in that first kickoff hour, Joe Montaigne is going to be here. Awesome. We know that Holly Robinson Pete is going to be here somewhere in the first couple of hours. I'm not sure which hour. We know that Temple Grandin is like the fourth hour. Perfect. Uh, We know that Kobe Bird is going to be here with us from Lock and Key. We've got all of these things going on. But the podcast, it's sort of crazy. We've got Dr. Mary Barbera from Turn Autism Around. Uh, we have Ilana Gershlovitz from uh, South Africa is going to be doing her Autism What Now podcast with uh, some amazing guests Uh, we know now that Amy Gravino is going to be hosting some of the hours of Stories from the Spectrum with us with one of her guests will be Peter Gerhardt oh wonderful I mean we're really going to have it's it's like some serious business here he's a lot of fun to listen to he's really good with adults and has a lot to say yeah so it's it's going to be off the chain, as yeah. the young people say. So we're really excited about it. It's all free to viewers. Uh, we are right now getting sponsors for the different hours. That's how we're able to keep the lights on. If you know somebody who'd like to sponsor one of those hours, great opportunity for an organization to get their name out there for something really positive. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, if there is a place right now on autismnetwork.com, if you go to podcastathon, we don't have everything up and running, but the place for sponsorship, if you go there, you can make an appointment to talk about sponsorship. So our topic today is parent burnout. Oh yeah. But I, you know, I want to include everything burnout because uh, here in <laughs> LA, so I, I've had a guest visiting the last couple of days. My dear niece has been visiting, and she's almost frozen to death. She's a popsicle. She can't wait to go home. She Where, wants to get on a plane so she can get warm. Where is she from? She's from Texas. Oh. Um, but, you know, she grew up in Iowa. It's not like she's not, but it's she's come to L.A. many times. It's We've just, just so had a here. very terrible cold season. Well, like, it's a, weird. A friend of mine, she, she said to a friend, she goes, I, I've been here many times. I've never experienced this. And the friend said to her, oh, Los Angeles is broken. And I thought, it's kind of accurate. Uh, yeah, we, there's something going on for woo, sure. It's, it's been a weird year so something's far. Something's in retrograde. Definitely. Something's going Definitely. on. But, uh, and people are just burnt out on the cold in yeah. L.A. Yeah. Like, we just don't have the bandwidth for it. And, and it's, you can get yeah. burnt out on absolutely anything. So we're going to be taking some of your questions. But our starter question here actually is not from a parent about parent burnout. It's about somebody who works in the field. I don't know whether they're a BCBA or a a behavior therapist, but they say, uh, Dr. Doreen, how do you help parents who are so demoralized that they aren't willing to try new things? I work with a young man who has significant challenges, but I believe that there is so much progress left to be uncovered. Mom Mm -hmm. is very tired and overwhelmed, and as a result, often asks us not to work on new targets. Mm. I don't want to push her, but I know she wants what's best for her child. What do you advise? Yeah. So this is kind of, um, Shannon, I guess, where my I put on my psychologist hat for a minute as yeah. opposed to the behavior analyst hat because yes. I don't think that, I, you know, I think we have to stop for a moment and just try to do better in terms of understanding what parents go through. 
And I'm glad that this question is from a therapist or a clinician because I don't, we're so focused as clinicians on trying to push our kids forward that we forget what the parents' experiences. And clearly, this is a parent who has not just, you know, had lots of moments of uh, things happening that cause the parent to be depressed or demoralized, but also there's just, uh, you know, they, they know that or they feel at least that they don't have the support system in place to handle new things, right? I mean, we actually have a question that's similar to that because I think it, we don't realize that when we give an instruction as a behavior analyst and say something like, work on this, you know, and then we leave, we don't realize that the, the tantrums and all the not sleeping and all of the stuff that comes with work on this is we leave it for the parent to deal with. So, you know, my advice is just to uh, stop focusing on pushing the child forward for a moment. Yes. And just focus on what are the needs of the parent. Because, and I tell this to parents all the time, if the parent is burnt out, if the parent is exhausted, just doesn't want to do anymore, has given up hope, is depressed, is uh, whatever is going on, the whole program is going to fail because... It's so important for the parent to feel okay first yeah. and to be um, to have feel like they have resources and tools and energy to deal with it yeah. that sometimes it's important for us as clinicians just to leave the patient alone for a bit and focus on the support system, which is the parent. Yeah. It's kind of like that thing uh, you hear in airplanes, you know, put your oxygen mask on before you help your child. Yeah, which so is unthinkable, it's by unthinkable, the way. And but it's, it's the to. only way because if that parent... And I've unfortunately had situ a lot of situations where a parent passed away mm. and we had to kind of restructure and reorganize with the single remaining parent. And... You just don't want to push parents to the point where they just can't function anymore. It's very, very important to um, step back and just hear the parent. Maybe try to give support and make things as pleasant as possible. I often say, like if the family is on a vacation and you are with them, which occasionally happens... Just take it easy during that week because you really want the parents to refresh during yes. that week as well and do everything you can to help support that. Don't be so focused on what am I going to do next? How am I going to teach things next? Just put that on hold for a minute and be there for the family and then suggest to the family that they do things that are going to be helpful to them. And those could be things like getting therapy for themselves, uh, occasionally taking a night out. Like years ago, we used to have the luxury of being able to do, you know, parents' night out yeah. where we would have the therapists take care of the child so the parent could just go on a date or something, yeah. just take care of themselves, right? And that is so important, I mean, for all parents, especially parents of children with disabilities. Absolutely. I think back always to when we were starting therapy 
And I was asked to make a list of what my biggest concerns were. What were the yes. things that we wanted to work on? And I, and I said, well, he's banging his head on the kitchen floor, and that's the biggest concern that I have. But yes. he's also not sleeping until 3 o'clock in the morning. And then I had some stuff after that. But those were, oh, and I wanted him to talk. Yes, <laughs> That of was course. big on the list, too, right? And, and so, but the thing I was most, you know, like danger Will Robinson concerned about was his, him hitting his head on the kitchen floor because I was afraid he was going to do damage. permanent damage. Mm-hmm, sure. And, but what, what I really remembered, it was like, ugh, was that they said, well, we're going to work on the sleep thing first. Yeah. Because, and I said, why? I want to work on the headbanging thing first. And they said, because you haven't had sleep. It's not just him that hasn't had sleep. Yeah. And the intervention yeah. we want to do on the headbanging we're not going to be successful if you're not rested. Yeah. And then then it was like, oh, my gosh. It was the first time that I realized what was happening with me was affecting him. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that you said, you know, if, if the parent isn't, you know, if we're not dealing with the parent thing, then the program is going to fail. But the exact opposite is also true. hundred percent. I was at a conference and I, I wasn't aware, aware of how many studies have been done that show that if parents have support and, are, for instance, are meditating or doing something that helps them to deal with the feelings, mm-hmm. that their program is much more likely to be successful and that the child will actually ha- accomplish more goals yep. if the parent is rested and in a good place. Uh, absolutely, Shannon. And, you know, as you know, I've started to interview a lot of parents of, of successful cases, right? Yes. K- kids who had the most positive outcome and are doing well, thank God, right now. Yeah. And I came to the conclusion, and it's funny because what I'm learning from these parents, or I'm just like coming to the realization now, is that they prioritized, and you did this as well, their child over everything else. Yeah. And I think as typically, as parents of typically developing kids, we do that to some extent, yeah. but we also have other things going on, right? And it's not the only thing in our lives. But I think with parents of kids on the spectrum, for at least a period of time, that is the single thing on, on their, in their mind. Yeah. And what happens is you put yourself and everything else that's important kind of on the back burner. And as a parent, you end up being behind the game instead of in front of the game. And what I mean by that is you're just exhausted every day and you're just hoping for things to be okay that day. Whereas the parents who are well-rested are ahead of the game and they are planning. Yeah. They're literally saying, today we will do the following things. And, you know, all, all of us go through these phases, so everybody's familiar with what I'm talking about, right? And if we could all get to a point where we're good at balancing things to, a, to, to an extent where we can take a little bit better care of ourselves, yeah. then we're able to do so much more. But I want to give the disclaimer, I still don't have this figured out. Yeah. I still yeah. Yeah. don't have this figured out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think anyone really does. I think okay. it's an ongoing, you know. It's similar to, like, I came in today and I said to you, I'm just so overwhelmed with little things, right? And that's because I have, I'm have i dealing with my elderly mom and my kids and, like, all the various issues that mm-hmm. go on in life. But the truth is, you know, I make sure that I get X number of hours of sleep. Yeah. And that's like something that I just do because I know I won't be functional if I don't. And I think it's an ongoing thing. We never 
it's not like you ever conquer this and it's done for good. It's like eating. Yeah. You never really conquer eating issues, you know? Yes. You're, it's a day-to-day. It's like, okay, well, today I was healthy. That's a good thing. You know, tomorrow I'll try again. Yes. And that's essentially how this is. I don't think anyone ever, like maybe there are some people who really have their act together, but I don't, I know I never have. I know I'm always going day to day and kind of in the six to seven out of 10 range every day. And that's good because you know, in the past, when I used to do 50 other things, I was always in the three to four range, you know? It's so interesting because I've been having many conversations this week about, I always think that, what you know, there's a, an arrival. Yeah, you're going to arrive. there isn't. There and isn't. that I was saying the other day, I keep relearning that it's really about being on the journey. Yeah, absolutely. That there is no arrival, it's being on the journey. That's and right. that you have to stop and appreciate the journey I'm sorry, I got I got to relearn or, or, this a million times. I don't know. I mean, yes, I think you start to appreciate the journey when you accept the fact that it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just start appreciating the 6 and 7 days. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm going to get on board with that. Uh we're going to keep talking about parent burnout, but we're going to uh, transition to some of the questions that you guys have. Tammy wants to know when do kids with uh talk with autism? My son is 6 and has been getting speech since 3. Yeah. So, Tammy, why don't you write back in and let me know, Is you, are you doing interventions and what interventions are you doing? Because I'm glad that he has had speech since three, but I don't, I don't it's not a spontaneous thing that happens. You need to be working on turning that speech into language and advancing it and increasing it and that is done through things like applied behavior analysis ABA or many many hours of speech therapy and ABA so why don't you let us know what interventions you've been doing and how intensively how many hours a week have you been doing those that I can try to help guide you in terms of okay that's good or maybe you should increase most of the time when a child starts to have some speech around three, and if you're doing intensive interventions, that means 30, 40 hours of ABA per week, then by six, they are conversational. A lot of times they are conversational. So just let me know what you're doing, and then we can go from there. She said school and all the therapy, and I have been working with him. Right. And what is all the therapy? Because school alone, and also in school, Tammy, is he in special education? She doesn't have ABA. Yeah. So I would really recommend that you get on ABA immediately because it's going to be a lot harder to get ABA once he turns eight. Uh, You're still in the age where you can get ABA and you can get it funded through your health insurance. So I would really start doing some ABA. It is like intensive teaching and as many hours as you possibly can. And I would also have an IEP at the school and ask them to intensify things a little bit and start to really, really push um, his speech, his language. Um, He should also be getting at least three times a week speech therapy, if not more, Um, You know, uh, very honestly, 
the families that I work with where resources are not an issue, we're doing somewhere like 60 hours of ABA and including five hours of speech and five hours of occupational therapy. And we're just, that's what we consider to be an enriched environment. It's not uh, punitive to be doing ABA. It's It can be fun and light and what we're doing is making sure that the child is also enjoying himself and but but across all of his waking hours learning and that's really important yes uh dark angel says now that my son uh is five i'm terrified that soon he will be in grade one with regular kids how do i get over this anxiety that is uh earing me up what a great situation to be in first of all but um, I understand your anxiety. A lot of parents have anxiety about entering kind of the regular world, I guess, or putting their child in the regular. And I think you had these same well, anxieties. I, I bought binoculars because my plan was to sit in the car and watch him <laughs> through the binoculars on a daily basis. I know. I know. And I think we had, like, you had a lot of feedback from your team telling you to back off. I mean, I did for many years yes. too, but yeah. so I think that it's a very typical thing and it's great parenting, honestly, to be that concerned. But, you know, you have come this far and think about how well he has done. Um, and you'll see as you start to put him in grade one, you'll see the positive changes that come about and that will help you uh, overcome some of this anxiety. Now, I kind of want to also remind you of, I don't know how many people, you know, I'm a big believer that you can throw into the universe energy that will make things go in the right path, right? I don't know how many people here have seen the the, the um, or read the book, The Secret, right, you know? Right, right. This is all about like, Try to turn your anxiety into positive thoughts. Whenever you have a negative thought, turn it around and envision what you would consider to be the perfect scenario, the perfect thing that can happen. It'll calm you down, and honestly, it'll start to come to reality, right? So start thinking of the positive things that are going to happen for him in grade one. Can I just say, I loved The Secret. I did too. But... But so many people watch the movie The Secret and didn't make it. They, they'll go, I didn't like it. And I would always say to them, they were like, it's so materialistic. And it's like, I want a Lamborghini. And, all, and I said, I always say to them, did you watch to the end of the movie? There's something that happens in the last 30 seconds of the movie that most people don't stick around for that tells you what the secret is. Right. And they don't stick around for it. And I was like, you missed the whole thing. Oh, okay. They revealed it in the last. So if you're going to look at the secret, you've got to watch to the last, the very last millisecond second. I mean, and honestly, it's really just about like turning your negative thoughts into positive thoughts. It's about being happy. Yeah. Like, and and that there is this idea that we, you know, Abraham Lincoln say most people are as happy as they make up their minds to be. Yes. Abraham yes. Lincoln said that. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And that's the thing that, that the secret is really about, is about that's being right. happy. Now, for some people, that's a Lamborghini. For a lot of us, it's not. Yes. We want our kids to succeed. Yes. And so, you know, I, I love, when I go to these conferences, they talk about this a lot, that, you know, as parents, we all want our kids to be independent. And, and this is like a big driving force for us. We want our kids to do as well as they possibly can. But then we have this other thing going on where we want our kids to be safe 
and we don't want anybody to pick on our kids. So true. And we don't want anything bad to happen. And these two things go boom, 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 boom. Absolutely endlessly. right. And, you know, for me, I had to work on that to slowly let that apron string out. I'm still working on it. But I, I was talking with a relative that's visiting and she was like, it's so impressive that, you know, you're like, I re she said, let's think about it. It was five years ago that Temple Grandin had to force you in a restaurant to let him go to the men's room by himself for the first time. Was it really? He threw me under the bus to Temple Grandin. He was like, she won't let me go to the men's room by myself. And Temple dressed me up and down and was like, he's doing it right now. And I was clutching the booth in this restaurant going, yeah. what? And she was like, no, this, you're going to sit right here and this is how this is going to happen. It was five years ago, and, you know, now he's going away on trips to other places yes. with his friends. Yes, Did I think that we could get there? No. Yeah. And I was talking about, you know, he's going to be moving out. I don't have a date on that, but it'll happen soon. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the relative was like, who are you and what have you done with Shannon's body? Uh. So I say to you, I'm the woman who had bin purchased binoculars because I plan to watch every single day of kindergarten from my car across the street. No, I know. It can I, happen for you, totally, Dark Angel. You totally. can get there. And it will happen. You just have to keep thinking positive thoughts. It'll happen. Yes, yes. And and balance that thing. Remember that you do want independence for your child. Yes. And don't try to negate that you want them to be safe. Also, those are real things, but they're both valuable. And also remember, again, the topic that we're talking about here, that anxiety that mm. you're experiencing is bad for you. Yep. That's also very important to remember that you need to turn that around, right? And you need to calm that anxiety. There's so many really good apps and tools out there right now. I just bought a headphone, Shannon, that it's not even a headphone. It's like a thing that you put on your, have you seen Is this? Is it the thing? bone conductor one? No, it's no. called Muse. Okay. And you put it on your head like this and it has these receptors in it. It's biofeedback. Okay. And you basically have, you then, it's on your phone, right? And you can look at it and you, they, it's, it gives you like meditation sounds and so on, oh. but it's, it, intensifies if you start to get distracted oh. so that in other words listen Does to me alarm go off? no it, it just becomes louder <laughs> i see so it's kind of like pay attention to the sounds of the ocean okay. more right. and then when you calm your thoughts it just go, becomes kind of background oh. and it's really fabulous wow. stuff i thought god i should try this out on some of my kids and see if they can manage it yeah absolutely uh that sounds very exciting we it's so weird but we had one christmas what jem asked for they had this Star Wars game that was like Jedi mind control. Yeah. And it was similar. It was a headband with receptors, and you had to concentrate on the ball. And if you concentrate, you could make the ball go up. Wow. He loved it. That's amazing. He absolutely loved it. And then they did away with the toy. Oh, my God. You know, I hate that when they do that. Okay. Jim Eagle, we're saying hello to you. Taryn, we're so glad that you're here with us. Andrea has written in and said, good morning, ladies. My son is three and a half years old. He has been in card with ABA, so I'm assuming it's good ABA, since September. My question is, it seems as if we get a behavior done and he replaces it with a new behavior. And if so, will this be the rest of my life constantly trying to diminish behaviors? I meant to say, is this normal? If so, will this be the rest of my life trying to diminish behaviors? There's a lot there to unpack. <sighs> There's a lot there to unpack. Um, and I have to be very careful about this, <laughs> yes. how I respond to this. 
I want you to make sure you're getting good ABA. Whoever, Always, no I, matter who you're no with. No matter who you are with, I want you to make sure it's good. I don't know. I honestly cannot comment on what, which provider out there no, now provides good ABA. But what good ABA means is that it is rewarding. There's a really good plan of action, and every... Uh, I, every ongoing lesson or or uh, protocol that they put in place builds upon the previous one and expands to the next one. In other words, let's say your child is having a behavior, they have a plan that addresses that specific behavior. They have explained it to you. It makes sense to you. Everybody's working on the same thing. And it is okay if that behavior extinguishes, goes away, and another behavior comes. But it tells you one thing. It tells you when challenging behaviors come about, that means the child is trying to communicate something. That means the environment is not yet fair enough. Because remember, challenging behaviors are all about communication. They're just the child trying to tell you they want something or they want to avoid something. Always. It's always one of those, right? The things they could want are less, less fewer lessons, mm-hmm. uh, less time working, less demands. Um, they could want access to more reinforcers, access to activities, access to people. They could want, I don't want to be in this classroom. I don't want this therapist. Remember, they're trying to communicate something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is super important. And when you figure that out and when you teach the child that having a challenging behavior to express that is not okay, but there are other ways that are they can express that, challenging behaviors in general dissipate. It's the same as us. It's exactly the same as us. If you think about it, if you're frustrated and you're angry. Let's say, you know, a, a week ago, I was really frustrated and angry because I had four days of no power, no, no yeah. electricity. And I'm frustrated. I'm angry. What do we do? We first call the Department of Water Power nicely. Then we start to raise our voice, et cetera, et cetera. And that frustration is expressed through the challenging behavior of yelling at the person at DWP. Right. That's not a good behavior. But once the issue is resolved, let's say the individual says, calm down, lady, I'm going to help you. And when they do and it is resolved and finally, which is what they did, honestly, someone came right away and like spent hours down by our circle and fixed the whole neighborhood. But when that happened, then obviously the cha- I didn't have a reason to be frustrated anymore. Right. So it's important that you make sure that there's no reason for your child to be having these new challenging behaviors. Now, I do want to say, I don't know if you're referring, you just said behaviors, and I don't know if you're talking about challenging behaviors or if you're talking about self-stimulatory behaviors, yeah. ritualistic behaviors. And those are not things that we tend to do very well at controlling. Ritualistic behaviors, I have, I have a child right now I'm working with where he has so many ritualistic behaviors that are like things have to be in a certain order. He has to like do things with his hands. He can't, it's just, it's a huge, 
very high level of self-stimulatory behavior, and that prohibits him from learning, right? But those are things that are very difficult for us to control, and we either have to put him on a schedule of sensory input so that we try to reduce that. I think she wrote back and said challenging behavior. So going back to challenging behaviors, there's always a reason And if you know the reason and if your team has taught your child to communicate in a more acceptable manner rather than expressing himself through challenging behavior, there's no reason these challenging behaviors would continue. Now, it's also possible that your child will have new needs as he ages and he will have difficulty knowing how to express those new desires, those new needs Um, And then the challenging behaviors continue. It's also possible that there are people in his environment that still allow the challenging behaviors. So that could be, that often happens when our kids are in school. And let's say in school the child tantrums and the teacher has no alternative but to ask the child to be removed from the classroom. And that is very rewarding for the child's challenging behavior. The child learns every time I scream, They let me go for a walk, which is great, and I'm going to scream from now on. So that's the kind of stuff that your ABA team will have a really hard time with because they have to make sure his environment is consistent and that everyone is dealing with challenging behaviors the same way. Now, I'm almost afraid to ask how many hours of ABA is he getting Um, Because these days, whenever I ask that question, there's a lot of um, just not enough hours going on. So, and I I see Tammy, I think that you've also written in and said, oh, that's that's Tammy. So let's go back to that. There's like so many questions popping in. She says 40. He's getting 40. That's absolutely fantastic, Andrea. Like, wow, wonderful. And did you tell us he's three and a half? Yeah, that's the ideal. Don't, he's, it's not that long that he's been in an ABA program. So there's going to be a little while that he's frustrated. Just bear with it. Sit with it. And make sure when you have these questions, talk to your BCBA, your supervisor, and say, why does he still have challenging behaviors? And they should, they better give you the same exact response I just gave you, which is he's trying to communicate something. We're trying to figure it out. Okay. Wonderful. I just want to say, too, let's remember that I love all the questions that you guys are writing. This is a safe space. Everybody should be allowed to ask whatever question. Um, So let's just remember to keep it as nice as possible. You might be looking at somebody else's questions, and, and it might you know, be a little bit triggering for you, but remember, it's a safe space. Everybody is allowed to ask questions. We're going to get to what I'm talking about in just a second. But Michelle wrote in and said, hi, I'm watching from New York City, and I have a few questions. What type of professional do you go to to receive an assessment and diagnose for AESD for an older child for an 18-year-old? She says, do you recommend... Yes. I, oh, did I not say? 17-year-old. She says, do you recommend an assessment for a 17-year-old or should we just manage the challenges without a formal assessment? And what type of help is there for a 17-year-old with mild autism? Okay, so great question, Michelle. Yeah. So you go to, he's 17, you go to a psychologist, uh, preferably a developmental psychologist, and they will, or you can perhaps find a psychiatrist who's a developmental psychiatrist. 
But these individuals, their job is to diagnose and do testing. And that's super important. Like you can do interviews and get on, on the uh, uh, phone with them and say, hey, are you, do you do assessments? Do you di- look at individuals at the age of 17? Ideally, you want to find someone who does have a little bit of experience because 17 with mild autism, you might get a whole array of other diagnoses, which, you know, you'd want to know what it actually is. And this I'll say to all parents, if you walk away from a, a diagnostic appointment, you should understand every symptom of that diagnosis and feel like you agree. If you walk away and you're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why did they think my child has X, Y, and Z? Then, and really, and you're being very honest with yourself, then go back and ask those questions. Because what I used to do when I diagnosed was I would always sit with the parents and tell them all about why I gave this. So what are the symptoms that I see? Why am I giving this diagnosis? So you can get the diagnosis without testing. But the the importance of the testing is to identify the areas that need to be worked on. And a lot of times when it's a high-functioning child, the testing they should be doing is in the area of executive functions and cognition. So that means they should give your child an IQ test and a neuropsych test. The two tests that I recommend, 17, you're looking, well, as soon as he turns 18, this test changes. But right now, you're looking, actually, I think at 16, it changes. You're looking at a Wexler test, Wexler. And I think at 17, you would already be in the adult phase, which is the WACE, W-A-I-S, or you'll be still in the child version, which is called the the uh, WISC, W-I-S-C. I'm like losing my mind now. Um, so one of those two tests will give you IQ, but it's not the IQ that's important. It's the subtests that are important. And those things will tell you about things like his memory and his ability to plan and his ability to organize his mind and his thoughts and so on. And then a NEPSI, which is a, a neuropsych test, that test will tell you if there's any significant issues in any of those areas. Like, for instance, memory. There's multiple types of memory. And if our children are struggling with, let's say, working memory, working memory is when you learn something new and it goes in and it kind of alters or modifies what you already knew. So for instance, let's say as a child, like I might know that, I don't know, you know, I live in the United States and then something enters my thought and I realize, oh, the United States is a very big country and people on the East Coast are very different than people on the West Coast. That's a modification to what I knew about the States. Three years later, I might learn something else. So these things that come in and modify previous knowledge, that's really important. A lot of times with kids on the spectrum, when they receive new information, they don't know how to integrate it into old information, and it change, like they think it's either this or that. So that is a very small little thing that happens in memory, but it can influence our learning. You know, another thing that could be influencing your seven. When I have high-functioning 17, 18-year-olds, most of the time we're talking about a difficulty with perspective-taking. So they have a very hard time seeing the world from anyone else's perspective or just social anxiety. 
And so those are two things that you want to make sure the psychologist or psychiatrist is going to assess and give you some guidance. Now, who works on this stuff? ABA individuals still work on this stuff. It's just harder to get funding for it. But, uh, you know, and, and nowadays I think there are more and more people who are coming into the world who are just social coaches, um, and they could be working on some of this stuff as well. Okay. Um, I also wanted to address that Beck's mom asked about uh, vegan B12. Is it the same? Is it as potent as B12 shots? But I noticed Beck's mom that um, you weren't using the word methyl, and I think that's an important it is aspect important, of this. And I don't know what vegan B12 is. I assume it's just B12 tablets that are yeah. also vegan. Yeah, and I take those. Yeah, okay. And, and no, they're not as potent. Uh, it just can't be. But I'm uh, not sure that your child necessarily needs one or the other. I would really recommend that you talk with a functional medicine doctor who can help you figure out what your child needs. I, for instance, take a lot of B12. I used to take a lot of B12. And my functional medicine physician actually tested, who tests my blood every six months, said, whoa, back off. Like you have massively high amounts of B12. So it's important to get this right. And that's why it's important to look at like actual blood tests to, to see. Wonderful. Uh, jo- jo- Annie, I want to say hi to you and say, as, uh, she says, as far as food, she made good choices today, LOL. Great, and I think that great, that's great, wonderful. Great, that's, uh, that's all it is, every day. Okay. Uh, Carol says, my son hasn't had a good sleep for seven days. He's awake all night and sleeps one to two hours during the day. Mm. So much energy still. I'm burned out. Tried meds to make him sleep, but no help. No signs of pain or sickness. Eats well. That's just, this is so important to take care of this. Like, you know, if you can, Carol, wherever you are, I think when it's very significant sleep, let me just see, does she tell us much? No, Uh, I think that's the only time she's written. meds. I don't know what meds you tried, but don't give up on this. I would really, in fact, like when we don't sleep, we actually end up eating more. So the fact that you said he eats well, that's good, but I, I, it's, I'm very concerned. When we don't sleep, like this is why sleep is so important, for, especially for kids on the spectrum and, of course, our, us as parents. But when we don't sleep, our neurotransmitters are off. They, they're thrown off. You cannot produce the right amount of any of your neurotransmitters, like adrenaline, nor, norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, they're just not being produced in the right amounts. And there's a really clear connection with serotonin and symptoms of autism. So we need to make sure that we are sleeping and that our kids are sleeping one way or another. So approach that really carefully. Go uh, The places that, at, at least in LA, for instance, I know that a lot of the um, like the best sleep clinics are at the universities, like UCLA, USC, both have sleep disorder clinics. And what they do is, as hard as this may sound, but what they do is they, they do a 24-hour EEG during sleep, and they 
look at brain waves to see what is causing the child to either not fall asleep or to wake up numerous times or to stay awake or whatever it is. But please, sleep is one of sleep is as important as eating. Like it's so so vital to get sleep right. So work on that. Uh, Gracie says, uh, doctor, question, my son was without services, services. He recently is finally getting services through school and also at home, such as behavior therapy and speech therapy. My son is seven years old, but I see that he has regressed. Is that normal due to a lack of therapy? And she further went on to say, I feel like we're going backward. I know, Gracie, don't be... Don't give up hope, and it's it is normal. It will he. The good news is that most of the time, when kids regress due to just not having had practice, look at it that way, right? Like services are like having practice, um, and when they don't have that, they they forget certain things. But the good news is that when you start up again, usually you you recover that stuff pretty rapidly. So I don't don't worry. Just get things going. There we go. Uh, Muhammad has said that uh, he's not able to work with his three-year-old, almost four-year-old son, screaming, which Ugh. comes very often during the day. He's in an inclusive school, taking ABA, OT, and speech ses- sessions. Also want to know if half an hour of a speech session works. But he goes on to say that his son is verbal. Um, and he wants to know, does a mild autistic child learn behaviors from other autistic kids in an inclusive school system? Um, and, and this has sparked some, uh, controversy in the, in the comments about, Mm. as it always does, um, about, you know, if is, is a, we want to make sure that we're, you know, autism and the symptoms of autism are not contagious. Yes. However, if anyone is sitting with someone and, and somebody is engaging in a behavior, sometimes we will take on that behavior. Yes. That happens yes, sometimes. Yes. And that's not an indictment of the person who's on the spectrum who's engaging in that behavior. But I do think that as parents, we need to be mindful of that uh, sometimes uh, k- certain kids who are doing certain STEM things cannot be sat together. Yes. Um, yes. Let's, let's say that. But as far as the screaming, because I know Muhammad had written in about that yesterday, that his son is screaming on a regular basis. Yeah, Shall we talk so about sorry. that a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's so tough to deal with that. You, the other thing, like I want to start by saying that a lot of parents think that their child is receiving ABA in school when actually that's kind of not happening. So, you know, ABA is... When you're in a classroom, um, ABA generally has to be done one-to-one in the beginning. So I don't know how your child is receiving ABA. Check on that, Mohammed. First of all, like, is the child being taken from the classroom to an ABA session? Because a, a lot of times what's happening in a classroom isn't ABA, and we're just told that the child's receiving ABA. So... Ideally, if the child is receiving ABA, they should learn that screaming is not necessarily going to get them. First of all, let's start with why are they screaming? So usually when a child screams, it's either because they're trying to gain access to something or because they're trying to avoid something, or they could be doing it for a self-stimulatory type of reason, which means they like the sound and they're playing with the sound. 
So if you have a good ABA professional working with your child, they identify why that is. And uh, what it sounds like to me, because you, you said something like uh, you can't work with him screaming, which comes very often during the day. Now, I have seen kids who scream for stereotypy, like they're just doing it kind of as a game. They're walking around and going, ah, ah, like that, and they like to hear the sound. But most often when they're screaming, it's because the child has realized that if I scream, they leave me alone. So I don't want to do something, I will scream. I don't want to do something, I will hit. Those are the types of things that our kids learn. And you have to make sure that when the child, if that's the case, if they're screaming in order to get you to stop, you have to not stop. So it is important that everyone in his environment continues what they're doing when he's screaming so that he learns the screaming is ineffective. Now that, what I'm telling you is only if he screams, the screaming function, the reason he screams is because he's trying to avoid something or gain access to something. If he's screaming on a continual basis, even when he's alone, even when no one is placing any kind of demand on him, it could also be self-stimulatory. Identify that and then talk to me because then I can help you with that. That's a whole different scenario. But I think it is definitely the case that kids will imitate what's going on around them because kids are smart and they see someone else doing something. They might just be intrigued by it or they might realize, oh, this kid gets to go outside every five minutes because he's screaming. So I'm going to do the same thing. So it is very important to have the right placement Why don't you do some observations and just see how your child's doing in the classroom? Um, And that will give you some some feedback as to whether they should be there. Okay. I also want to say um, to Phoenix, I welcome you to the conversation. um, But I do want to say that it's really important. One of the things that you say here, Phoenix, is that all individuals who are on the spectrum are not identical. And we support that very heavily here on this show. But I also need for you to recognize, because you're writing some very, you know, black and white things about all ABA and about all people who are neurotypical and how we think about people who are on the spectrum. I would like to ask you to please leave room for the fact that um, you know, a, a lot of people who are neurotypical want to be strong allies to people on the spectrum and respect their differences. It's not all of us. And all ABA, um, you know, you say all ABA is intended to make uh, autistic people appear not autistic. And I want to, you know, suggest to you that there is, uh, there are different pr- practitioners of ABA and we're proponents here of good conscious ABA that considers the individual, their sensory needs, and what they want to accomplish in their life. Yeah. That's about teaching them and is positive. So I hope we can keep that positive because we welcome you to be here and be a part of the conversation. Then I want to go on to Karen Rose, who says, hi, and thank you for your wonderful show. We are in Norway and currently don't have ABA. We do intend to travel and start again soon. My son can imitate gross motor, fine motor, oral motor, two-step imitation, and can verbally imitate all phonics except M and N. He can also discriminate between one or two sounds and verbal imitation, yet we struggle to blend sounds. I know there's no easy answer, but any advice on how to start would be greatly appreciated. 
I'm just taking a look at all the skills. So he can imitate gross motor, fine motor, oral motor, two-step imitation, can verbally imitate all sounds, all phonics except M&M, which is amazing. Um, he can also discriminate between one or two sounds. Great. Yet we struggle to blend sounds. I know there's no easy answer. Okay. Um, I One of my students um, from a thousand years ago at UCLA who's now kind of you know, a, a doctor himself, uh, so I don't want to call him a student. He's a very, very well-known uh, person in, in Norway is um, Sven Eikeseth, and I know I'm Svein Eikeseth. I know I'm mispronouncing his name, but he is in, in Oslo, I believe, and there are some very good ABA programs in Norway. I spoke there God knows how many years ago, and I know there are some good ABA programs there. But to go back, Karen, and first of all, thank you for saying nice things about our show. We love to be able to help parents around the world. Um, it sounds like your child, and I don't know how old he is or she is, but he is, but he's doing a lot of imitation, which is really great. I think you need to move forward from imitation. Where you should start to focus when you want to do is it's don't worry about the blends so much as turning even that basic sound that he's producing into communication into language and that's where you start with uh, manding and manding is teaching the child to request things and when they want something they need to make a sound the sound doesn't have to be exactly what the object is if a child wants juice, they can say ooh, or they can say ju, or anything that resembles, and then you can start to shape that sound. But it's important that they realize that these sounds they're making are useful. And the first way that they get that is to request things and then get the things. And then they realize, whoa, these sounds are really useful. I should start making these sounds more. And then the blends become easier. So manning is the first stage. So anything that your child wants, uh, you know, start saying a sound for it and having him imitate that sound to the point where you no longer have to say it and the child just comes up to you and says that sound or that word in order to gain that object. Once you've done that, then you can are ready to move on to tacting, which is the child just labeling a lot of objects. You can start that right now. You can get objects and put them in front of the child. Start first receptively labeling them. So when you have an object, ask the child, give me the cup. And if the child knows how to do that, you prompt the child. You sound like a parent that should get a bunch of ABA training and that you can actually get stuff going yourself. So go online. There's a ton of programs that are just for parent training. Uh, Years ago, we developed a program called Institute for Behavioral Training. That's still online for parents. But you can go. There's a lot. Uh, Just go in and say ABA training for parents. And these are live modules where you're just like observing someone teaching all this stuff. I can't give you enough information in, in a few minutes or even hours Uh, But the basics of ABA will really, really help you. It sounds like you're someone that can actually get a program started if you want 
and get the whole ball rolling. Yeah, and I, I would say I, one of the things you can Google, because uh, she seems pretty on the ball to me, there, here in the States there is a training for a registered behavior technician. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and you can take those classes. They're not geared for parents, but anybody can take them. Uh, you can do IBT, but we also mention Autism Partnership Foundation where it's free. Yeah. Um, and you can you can take all it's the awesome. classes. It doesn't you you don't get certified to be a registered behavior technician, but you can take the classes. That's Autism Partnership Foundation. Um, okay, I also want to get to Tosclo's uh, comment because we're we're running out of time. Hello, my child is six years old on the spectrum. He has been receiving speech therapy since he was three plus, but still not using sentences. Difficulties form- forming his own words lack of social skills, but he goes on to say he's hyperactive, always wants to run, jump around, especially when he, (coughs) excuse me, he sees people around. What can I do, please? Yeah, it's (coughs) very difficult to uh, try to teach or manage when you have a lot of hyperactivity going on. So a lot of times, I really recommend that you try to address the hyperactivity first. And there's a lot of different things to look at there. First of all, how much, what is the diet of the child? So hyperactivity a lot of times has to do with what we're eating. And that could be sugars that are in everything, you know, juice, whatever, foods. And also it could be things that are, for instance, red food coloring. There are certain things that our kids can't digest very well, and it just causes them to be a little bit more hyperactive. Um, You should look at the child's diet anyway and see if the child has really good gastrointestinal health, which is very, very important. Then that aside is the child sleeping. That When we don't sleep, we tend to have behavior that's kind of erratic. So we will be exhausted, then hyperactive, then exhausted, hyperactive. And it just, it messes with our energy levels, right? Production of energy is really important that it's balanced. Um, So uh, blood sugar, that's the reason I was talking about blood sugar also, is that keep your child on a diet where they're getting food approximately every couple of hours at least, healthy food, so that their blood sugar doesn't go up and down. Now, That sometimes is very hard because we use a lot of sugary items for reinforcers, but try to work on that. That's so the hyperactivity. Then, of course, you also need to should actually consult with a psychiatrist or neurologist, because honestly, sometimes the hyperactivity is so intense that if you could and we're talking about hyperactivity could also be sensory or um Uh, ritualistic type behaviors that are interfering, all of those types of things can be somewhat controlled with medication. And if you can get some control over those behaviors, the child is much more aware and awake and ready to learn. So I think that is super important as well. Try to deal with that and not so much trying to like fit in the teaching when the child is that active. That being said, another thing that a lot of parents do or we do on our teams when the child is exhibiting a lot of hyperactivity, is we have very specific sessions of time during the day where we really do active activity, like jumping on a trampoline, running, etc., and we kind of uh, take that energy out during those things. Occupational therapy 
can often help with hyperactivity if it is a sensory issue. So those are things to think about. Yeah, Dr. Temple Grandin talks about still in her life having to do a burst of energy yes. at some point in the day to help her to center and focus, Yes, which we love. Uh, I also want to say, uh, Mohammed, who wrote back in and said the ABA is conducted in the class itself, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, that a lot of times they will tell us as parents that they're doing ABA in the classroom, and Dr. Grampiche did address that. Often it is... A, it's a different thing yeah. because ABA yeah. should be it, like the it's hallmarks one of ABA. One. It's one to one. And, and it's almost like, I, I can tell you it's very unlikely that they're doing ABA in right. the classroom. They might be using some ABA techniques, right. but that's different than what we're talking about when we say you got to up the hours of ABA. Uh, okay. So Hafsa wrote in and said, hi, doctor, is it too late in terms of recovery to do 40 hours of ABA at home for an eight-year-old boy? He used to be nonverbal, but since a year uses one word to communicate, we are now working towards sentences. We're on the gluten-free. He eats clean, no sugar. That's wonderful, Hafsa. Congratulations. Uh, it's never too late to, to be teaching intensively. I can't answer the question of recovery because I've not made, met your child. I don't know. The, the recovery really just has to do with how many areas do we have to teach and is there enough time? So, and is, there, is the child kind of able to receive all of that information? So what I would really suggest, Hafsa, is to do as intensively as you can. Now, with an eight-year-old, it's also hard because you also have academics entering your world, right? Before, when our children are three and four, we're not too concerned about academics at that point, and we're teaching a lot of social language, just daily living skills. So I would really start to focus on those types of things and do it as intensively as you can. And you'll see, you'll see if he's acquiring skills rapidly, it doesn't matter if you reach recovery. It, ha- it matters that he becomes functional, is able to express himself. And honestly, intensity, this is, I think, the, the very important thing, is that ABA works no matter what age you are, okay? And good ABA is going to help you at any age. It doesn't matter. And the more intensive, the better, because you are now learning, at like just like tutoring, When you want to learn something, the more hours you put into it, the faster you're going to acquire it. That's everything, and that's everyone. That's the truth. Uh, Okay, and I misread. It was Toscolo who said we're on the gluten-free, eats clean, and no sugar. I hope when you say eats clean means very reduced if no pesticides, because that is also contributory towards that. Uh, lack of focus, that sort of hyperactive thing. We're out of time. We are. We are. And I know we've got to let you go. So we want to thank you for being here. We want to thank all of you for being here. Don't forget, we have tomorrow on the show, we've got producers um, of a new film that, uh, and one of the producers is on the spectrum herself. She is the writer of the film, producer, and is uh, is in the film with R.J. Mitty, who played the son on uh, Breaking Breaking Bad. Bad. Mm -hmm. So we'll be talking with them tomorrow. Then on uh, Thursday, Stories from the Spectrum, and on Friday, it's the big Oscar show. Make sure that you tune in. We're going to take... category by category and tell you what we think about it. So anyway, thank you guys all for being here. Thank you, Dr. Grampiche. We'll see you thank tomorrow. You, Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye now.
This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.